0: Hey friends, welcome to the Riot Woman podcast, which features creative conversations with artists, academics, and activists who identified with or were influenced by the punk and Riot Girl subcultures. I'm your host, Eleanor Callett Whitney, a feminist, writer, and marketer based in Brooklyn, New York, and the author of the forthcoming book, Riot Woman, a collection of memoir-infused essays about how Riot Girl has shaped my life. On this show, I'll be talking with a diverse range of guests and invite them to reflect on how punk, feminism, and the do-it-yourself spirit has impacted their adult lives and the work they make. Before I introduce this episode's guest, James Spooner, I wanted to take a moment to reflect because last night I saw Bikini Kill's last show in New York City. First and foremost, it was an incredible show. They sounded great. It was amazing to hear those songs live, and Kathleen Hanna's voice just filled up the huge King's Theater in Brooklyn. It was awesome. Similar to many in their 30s or 20s or maybe early 40s, I was too young to see Bikini Kill the first time around. And also I lived in Maine, so it would not have been possible even if I was old enough. But their songs were hugely important to me and really captured the rage and malaise I felt as a teenage girl in the mid to late 90s trying to get my head around punk, feminism, relationships, my sexuality my identity, who I was. They also really inspired me to speak my mind, to get involved with activism, and to make zines. And it was so gratifying last night because I got to meet up with friends that I met through the Riot Grrrl subculture and zines like Lauren Martin, who was featured on an episode of this podcast, and Jeff Miller, who made the zine Ghost Pine for many, many years. So many people from different parts of my life were at the show, and it really, really showed me that community, honestly for me, is the best part of punk rock, but I have to be fully honest with you. When I left the show, I felt acutely depressed. The performance was incredible, but it also brought back the feelings of inadequacy I felt as a teenager, the sense that I would never and still won't live up to the ferocity of those songs. After reflecting for a while, I realized I was still looking to Bikini Kill and Kathleen Hanna for answers and leadership to figure out how to be an adult feminist in this world, and I realized Now, of course, after many years and much feminist theory and many, many, many ways of expressing myself as a feminist, that this is not something for leaders to show us, to give us the answer, but it's something for all of us to figure out together. It seems so obvious, but I really realized I was going into the show looking for a role model, still in my late 30s. So I'm glad you all are here with me, and I'd love to hear more about how you're figuring out being an adult and a feminist and a punk. That's why we're here talking on this podcast, right? So for me, I ultimately came to the realization that the power of punk and Riot Girl is not just the bands, not just the songs. Of course, those play a key part, but the community and the relationships I've forged, and the DIY values that punk helped instill in me. And that's the part of punk and Riot Grrrl that still really serve me. And I think that's also something that my guest, James Spooner, speaks to very strongly. James embodies the DIY spirit and has built his life around punk rock values. If you don't know him already, James is a visual artist, a parent of two, and a vegan tattoo artist who runs Monocle Tattoo in Los Angeles. He's the creator of the 2003 documentary Afropunk and is currently at work on a graphic novel which chronicles his experience growing up as a teenage black punk in the California desert entitled The High Desert. You can also now find his comics as a regular column in Razorcake magazine. I'll never forget the first time I saw Afropunk in a packed auditorium at the Brooklyn Academy of Music soon after it was released. The audience in the theater was mostly people of color. And when one woman James interviews in the film makes a stereotypical comment about other black people, the whole theater erupted in a collective cry of, oh, no, she didn't. Afropunk speaks to questions around how blackness is defined and expressed and it remains as relevant as ever whether you're looking at punk specifically or this broader question of blackness and identity. Like Mimi Nguyen's zine, Evolution of a Race Riot, Afropunk helped me shape and expand the conversation and my understanding about race and punk identity and has remained a touchpoint for me throughout the years. Hanif Adurakib captures the enduring need for the critique of racism within and beyond the punk scene that Afropunk raised and the importance of the community James Works helped build. In an essay entitled, I Wasn't Brought Here, I Was Born, Surviving Punk Long Enough to Find Afropunk, he writes, Too often the choice in punk rock and DIY spaces for non-white men, and I would add, many other marginalized identities, is a choice between being tokenized or being invisible. And as James says about Afropunk in our interview, I set out to do the punkest thing I could do at the time, which was critique punk rock. Creating and touring with the Afropunk film, as well as organizing the subsequent festival of the same name, which James is no longer involved in, is just one example of James's embodiment of the DIY spirit of punk and his commitment to keep creating and building community around his politics, values, and interests. He has stayed true to his values throughout his many projects and as a parent. As he says, a really big, important part of the punk scene I try to impart on people now is that punk audacity to just do things without permission. Talking with James is to get excited about punk and punk values again. In our conversation, we talk a lot about being teenagers coming into punk, especially because that is the focus of his book In Progress, The High Desert. We also talk about the importance of embracing the do-it-yourself spirit of punk and moving from being a consumer of culture to being a creator. Both James and I created zines and ran record labels in high school, and we joked about how it made us golden in the eyes of our teachers, even though we were trying to rebel. Also like James, I was straight edge, that is, abstained from drugs or alcohol when I was a teenager and also into my early 20s. But similar to him, I also resisted the macho culture that had grown up around straight edge and straight edge hardcore music at the time. For me, that identity really helped me solidify my sense of myself and my own values. James' determination to create a world for himself when he doesn't fit in is the kind of spirit I love about punk, and it comes through in his creative projects as well as in his approach to parenting. One thing we didn't talk about in this interview, which we only hit on after I wrapped up recording our talk, is the fact that Northwest Queer core Rockers' Team Dresh are one of James' favorite bands, and mine too. So I hope that James will be kind enough to do a part two of this conversation with me so we can continue to nerd out, especially because Team Dresh just announced a round of reunion shows this fall. And now, enjoy my conversation with the ever-inspiring James Spooner. So, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Of course. Um, for those of you, or for those listening at home who don't know who you are, I'm chatting with James Spooner and could you just introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm James Spooner. I am a tattoo artist, a graphic novelist. Um, I was once a filmmaker, um, and just like a grown up punk rocker.
0: Nice, great. That is what we are going to spend our majority of time talking about today, but um, I'm sure our conversations will take us in a lot of different directions. So you're right now working on a graphic novel about your kind of discovery of punk while you were living in the high desert in California. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really curious, how did you first discover punk and what felt so appealing to you about it?
1: It was the eighth grade, and um, I guess the summer before that, I had just moved to a new town, and I was a skateboarder. I was uh, checking out. there, you know. This was like the late '80s, so punk was kind of the soundtrack for a lot of these skateboard videos and stuff. You know, on just on the surface, there was uh, this this video called Ohio Skate Out that like told you what bands were performing. I mean, uh, were playing with the with the skater. So and it was all like SST bands. So I was turned on to Black Flag and the Descendants, um, Firehose and those kind of groups. But I think that like in retrospect, I'm able to look at like who I was at that time, you know, the the anger and angst that was kind of bubbling um under the surface with like like living with my single mom going through puberty, living in this new town, not knowing anybody, being a black person in this very white city. You know, all of those things, I think like created the perfect storm that punk rock answered. So being able to hear Keith Morris screaming, I don't care, is something that like really appealed to me as a 13 year old.
0: Absolutely. And I heard you say on another podcast, and you've mention this in your drawings that you're sharing on Instagram as you're chronicling this time in your life that it was a scene a punk scene there that was really mixed up because it was a very small place so that there was all kinds of punks or kind of underground kids and I felt like I really related to that because I grew up in Maine where it's a very small place, very spread out. So you'd have a ska band playing with a crust punk band playing with a straight edge hardcore band, you know, it was, and then I had like an indie pop punk band, and somehow we fit into that. I, So I was like, Oh, that sounds kind of familiar to me, even though it's very, very different than um, my experience. So I'm just curious, because there was like this mix of scenes and different kids into different Things in the desert. What was interesting and maybe also frustrating about this?
1: Well, I mean, to say that it was mixed up is like, you know, all the things that you just mentioned would have been amazing. Like, yeah, um, I was there for two years before moving to New York, and in that entire time, there was two shows. Got it. Um, one was like a Christian metal show, and another one was just like a kind of straight ahead, like charged Mohawk punk show. But there wasn't like, you know, it was mixed because all the weirdos had to hang out together. Right. You know, so it was just like, yes, the goths and the punks and the Nazi skinheads were all friends because they were all the The other choice was like Vanilla Ice and New Kids on the Block. You know, so obviously the frustration comes in, um, in and in a lot of what the book chronicles is like being one of two black punks and being friends, like friends with people who were, you know, had niggers go back to Africa spray painted on their bedroom wall, you know? And, you know, being 13 and 14 and trying to square yourself with that, you know?
0: Yeah, how, and maybe this will have to wait for the book, but how are some of the ways you did or did not square yourself with that?
1: Well, like the the common um, conversation coming from from their mouths were uh, creating an, ex- an exception for me and my friend because mm-hmm. we were black. We weren't niggers, you know, which like ultimately is like like the other day I was on Instagram and and I saw this like making America great again Instagram page. Right. And there were a lot of pictures of people of color on it that were, like, positive, right? Mm -hmm. But there were black people wearing MAGA hats. And there was one where a black person was holding a sign that said, like, blacks before immigrants, you know? And this white person was like, these people are real Americans. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Basically, like, if you agree with my racist politics, Mm -hmm. then you're one of my people. Right.
0: And you kinda of get a pass. You get
1: a pass. And it way. doesn't it doesn't matter what the context is. It doesn't matter like, you know, they're they're seeing like I can't be racist because Oops. like I support black people who support who are anti-immigrant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, absolutely. So this this was like a uh scaled back or I don't know if it's scaled back because these are actual like kids who are wearing swastikas, you know. But they were like comfortable with me and my other black punk friend and some of the Mexican kids in the scene because we weren't challenging their whiteness or their racism.
0: I see. So did you feel that was something you wanted to challenge at the time or did you just kind of put that aside because it was so small and these people were your friends and you were kind of isolated?
1: I think I was too scared and unsupported and then uh, other parts were just like You lean into the people who embrace you, Mm -hmm. you know? So the majority of punks, whether they were full on racist or just like kind of racist because they're growing up in this very racist community, were like cool to me, whereas like a lot of the people of color were not cool to me because I was like not interested in joining a gang or... I wasn't interested in like mainstream pop music or whatever, you know, so it, be- it became very much like jocks versus the punks and I just like punk rock, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it was, it was just, I, I was too young to, to like really, like I could say something, but I could all, I could also just get my ass kicked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm kind of going chronologically. So I'll circle back to the book and your drawing a little bit later. But you mentioned then you moved to New York. So I'm curious, like, what shifted for you and your relationship to punk and maybe your politics as well?
1: Moving from Apple Valley to New York City was like an instant, like, I was floored, you know, all of a sudden, I could like, hang out all day just walking around and I would be entertaining, you know, like, I did uh, meet lots of punks of color pretty much immediately. New York City is, is obviously like very diverse. So, you know, alternative kids from all backgrounds uh, existed. I quickly, uh, within the first few months, I met this guy, Ryan Bland, who's in my film Afropunk. And he was in a band called Bushmon, which was like a all punk, I mean, all black punk and kind of punk ska band you know, going to see his band and all these kids who, you know, like generically like kind of look like Fishbone, you know, like just green dreads and green like Mohawk dreads and what all that kind of stuff. It was really exciting. And it made me feel like have a sense of pride or feel like I belonged, you know, like I Mm -hmm. didn't, I didn't need to justify why I was there anymore. Yeah. I was like, here's older kids that I can look up to who are doing this thing and have an understanding that I didn't have yet.
0: And did you feel embraced by those older kids or did you feel like you kind of regarded them as at a distance?
1: No, I became like I I became good friends with Ryan and, you know, just like on a personal level, like there were all these people who were like, you know, I would like follow them around like I was, you know, a puppy. Because, you know, I'm 14 and 15 or whatever, and they're like 20 you know, I like dreaded my mohawk and you know, like whatever Mm -hmm. it was like. So, uh, you know, there was definitely like, oh, like you want to be Ryan and that kind of stuff, which is like so hard to hear when you're a kid. But um, but the truth is, is I did, you know, like I really had a lot of respect for what they were doing and I wanted to do that, you know.
0: And were you playing in bands or putting out records or doing other things like that at this time? I know you later went on to also like promote a lot of parties and things like that. Like when did you start getting into that like sort of production aspect of punk or participating in the scene in that way?
1: Yeah. I I tried to be in bands forever and I just am not a good musician, but (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't until like when I was like 16 and I found like, I really got into straight edge and then that took me out of New York city and I started going to DIY shows because New York city at that time, there was ABC No Rio. That was the only DIY place mm-hmm. and everything else was bars mm-hmm. and kids could go to bars at that time. So it wasn't a big deal or it wasn't it wasn't like a strong need for like warehouses or Got anything because we could just go to a bar, right. you know, whether that's CB's or Wetlands or like Bond Street Cafe or whatever. Right. So these so, you know, going to those shows, I didn't know who was organizing them. I didn't, you know, it's just like yeah. you pay five bucks or you like you know lick your hand and steal a stamp or whatever <laughs> you know but like you're not really you're a consumer mm-hmm. I was a consumer yeah. at that point point. and once I started going to like DIY shows I started seeing like oh kids are putting out their own records like what is this thing this these magazines like you know and I had a friend in my junior year of high school who was a little bit more worldly in the punk scene and he was like an anarchist and all this stuff and he started like turning me on to like bands outside of like the New York tough guy stuff and uh it it really all appealed to me and I in my junior year you know at the beginning of the year didn't have any of these real politics and by the end of the year I had my own record label I was putting out zines and you know like it was just about a matter of like seeing it done and being in like being like oh I can just do this like and then i started booking shows at abc no rio and whatever you know what i'm saying
0: yeah totally that's awesome i feel like it was similar for me i think i found a flyer for kill rock stars or one of those labels and you know sent away for the records mm-hmm. and zines came with it and like a little catalog for a zine distro and i didn't know what a zine was but as soon as i saw it i was like oh this makes sense yeah. and as a writer i was like oh I'm a kid like no one's going to publish my work like i can just do this so I yeah sent away for all these you know feminist riot girl personal zines and I was just like yeah my my world just opened up and I think especially for me I was still in Maine and yeah I mean there were shows sort of but I certainly I later would like drive down to Boston to see shows but at first you know I was too young (laughs) for that so it was really amazing and then yeah I also started a record label or cassette label which is really interesting to me now that that's like a really hip thing <laughs> to do and i was just like it was cheap i had a boombox with a double cassette deck done
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it that that's like a really big important part of the punk scene that like i really try to impart on people now is like just that like punk audacity to just do things and you know without permission or whatever you know so f- so for me like as soon as i like, had something to say, it was really, it was a no-brainer for yeah. me to, like, make my first, like, vegan zine and, you right. know, hand it out to, like, kids at shows. And then it, then it was even, it was kind of funny to think about, like, then going to, back to to high school where, like, nobody was doing anything like this and handing them out to kids there or, like, to my teachers. My teachers must have thought I was amazing to, this yeah. you know, like, he's publishing his own magazine, like, you know, like... <laughs>
0: so so funny because it's like I'm like I'm rebelling you know I'm saying these things no one wants to say and talk about and I was especially talking about there was actually some legislation in Maine at the time that was like anti-choice and anti-gay rights so we I was talking about that but also things like dating and domestic violence but yeah I thought I was being such a rebel and I'm sure my teachers were just like Oh, look, involved. You know, I think I won like some community service awards. Yeah,
1: I looked back. I, w- I was looking through some old papers and re- and saw that my English teacher like submitted me for AP English or something like that. And I totally forgot that. But I'm sure that it had to do with making zines, you know? Yeah. Like I'm doing writing outside of school. like. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And you're still vegan. So have you been vegan since you were a teenager?
1: Yeah, since I was 16.
0: That's amazing. What um, inspired you to go vegan then and to keep with it?
1: Bands like Drop Dead. And, you know, there was all these political bands just that were talking about veganism and or and, you know, and just the scene like outside of New York City going to all of those tri-state area shows, Mm -hmm. even though I was straight edge, I was never really like youth crew kind yeah. of straight edge kid but i was around those kids and then i was also like there was kind of this new wave of straight edge that was like kind of emo kind of mm-hmm. you know um and i was putting out those bands like frail and elements of need and those bands were all vegan and struggle was you know was huge for me and you know so there's all these bands that were just talking about it and i was like yeah like I want to be politically consistent and I'm over here talking about like feminism or gay rights. How can I talk about this, but then not also consider the animals in the earth? Right.
0: Absolutely. I'm a lapsed vegan, so I'll be honest, but I think that's awesome. Especially at that time, it was probably not easy like it is or it's gotten easier as it's. Yeah. I mean, it
1: it was definitely like, like I had to wave the flag in order to like keep, it going you yeah. know what I'm saying but it was also New York City so it's like as soon as I found like oh I can get like soy milk in Chinatown and mm-hmm. it doesn't taste like chalk you know like I can <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah, like absolutely there's there was options uh, you know there's a bagel store that was kosher that had like tofuti cream right. cheese and you know like yeah all of that stuff you could find pizza places falafel like all of this stuff was just mm-hmm. accessible so it was yeah. really it wasn't like my friends who lived in Connecticut or Philly who they were their only choice was Taco Bell. You right.
0: Oh, yeah. Taco Bell vegetarians I re- or vegans. I remember that well. Um, the
1: tostada with no cheese. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I have a friend in Portland, Oregon, though she may have more, had more options then. This is like ninety eight, ninety nine, But yeah, she spent a whole summer eating those. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about this idea of like not needing permission to do things and to make things. So I'm going to like jump forward a little bit and talk about making Afropunk. And were you a filmmaker? Or had you made any films prior to jumping into making Afropunk? Or did you kind of take this punk approach to the production and distribution because you felt like you had an issue you wanted to explore or something to say?
1: Yeah, I uh, I did not go to film school. It basically started out of a one of my like every five year identity crisis around being mixed race. And um, that particular one hit me pretty hard. It was in my early 20s. And I went to go visit my family in Caribbean and I uh, just realized, like, I don't really know anything about Caribbean culture like I had all these questions maybe I maybe I maybe all those people were saying I'm trying to be white or right like I don't know what it means to be black all of these questions mm-hmm. right and that just made me really angry at punk rock because yeah. punk raised me and I felt like you know I've been waving the flag of feminism and uh, veganism and been down for gays and all of this stuff since I was a kid and the only conversation we got around race was fuck nazis mm-hmm. you know so it's just like you know what like yes fuck nazis but also fuck you because there's there's a lot more to the story here and i'm not being supported yeah. so um i set out to do what i felt was the punkest thing i could do which was critique punk rock you know at the time i was a sculptor and i was like a sculpture isn't really going to cut it here so like this was a uh, 2001 Digital film or digital digital like you know cameras were starting to like look good mm-hmm. and be a, and be an affordable right. thing and like final cut had come out and you know there was all yeah. these I was I was hearing you know I just kind of had to ask questions because I didn't you know I didn't even have an email address when this st- when I right. chose to do this but yeah. it was like I watch movies how hard can it be you know it's just like that same mentality of like I listen to music like how hard can it be you know? <laughs>
0: How hard did it end up being?
1: The documentary, I think it, it it flowed out of me pretty easily. There's definitely like technical learning curves. And I can look at the film now objectively and be like, oh, that sound sucks there or whatever, you know. But I also knew that all of that would be okay because like punk rock is very forgiving, yeah. you know. So it's more about the message. And the message was strong. And I think that, I mean, it obviously has been effective.
0: Absolutely. The subjects that you interviewed in the film did you know them or had you known of them did you put out kind of an open call looking for people like how did you identify and approach people it
1: was a little bit of all of those things like you know i i think one of the first people i reached out to was ryan who i mentioned earlier there were a handful of people in new york who i just knew like black punks So like it was chaka malik from burn orange nine millimeter or whatever right so i just like could um call them directly or get their number from somebody, whatever. Right. But I also had kind of been out of the DIY punk scene for a while. Like there'd probably been a good four or five years where I was like, you know, going to mod parties and, you know, I hadn't really been part of the all ages scene. And so a lot had happened, you know, five years is like a punk generation. So there was a whole new wave that I was not familiar with. And I also didn't know, you know, like I said, I could go back and be like, oh yeah, there's like, you know, Chuck from Ohio and there's like whatever. Right. right. But like, who are the, who are the new kids and who, um, and what bands are out now? So I had to like go on message boards and, you know, this is like before Facebook right. before my space, all that stuff. So I had to just go on like, you know, punk planet message board and just be like, who's the black person in your scene? Like, I know there's one in your scene. Yeah. Who is that person? And like, can I get in touch with them
0: and I've I've heard you talk uh, before and this kind of comes up in the Afropunk uh film as well that people of color and black people if there was more than one in a scene would kind of may avoid each other be a little skeptical so were people open to talking with you about this or were did you have to kind of convince them warm them up or was it like oh yes finally
1: most people were stoked there's only like a couple of people who are like I'm not interested And I really would, those are probably the best interviews, you know, like, but I can't make somebody talk. So, but most people like were really excited to be able to talk about these things.
0: I know that the film really, really resonated with me and my friends, uh, my best friend Lauren, one of the first things she handed me when we first met was this patch she made uh, that said punk rock Um, expatriate. She's Chinese, uh, white and Jewish, uh, also New York City native. Know, mixed kid and i think she really felt very similar like she identified with the diy aspect was kind of sick of the sceniness and the non-accountability especially around like race and racism and those politics so i think for us even though it wasn't the same experience as the people you interviewed in the film it really like hit a chord that went beyond that issue and i thought yeah
1: i mean the thing about like you know it's like If you are like, oh, look at all those, you know, there's all these brown people in this scene, like, in New York City. So, it's like, oh, there's all these brown people in this scene. So, how can it be racist? You know, like, we, you know, I always hear, like, we haven't had an issue with Nazi skins in 10 years. We ran them out of here, you know. And it's like, okay, like, that's great because Nazis suck. And, you know, if they came to a show, they would probably pick me out. So, thank you. But, like, in the meantime... Like let's address your whiteness. Let's address address your privilege. And you know, in the same regard, if you're in a if you're in a big city and there and there's a lot of women in the scene, the guys might be like, "Dude, there's all these chicks all over the place. What are you t- like? What are you talking about? You know?" And it's like, "Yeah, but this it's not an equality. It's still a boys' club. I'm still like, ex- I'm still expected to hold your coat or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's definitely." a need for these kind of critiques, you know? And I think that if, if I can give like props to the punk scene, I feel like there is objectively more of an acceptance of that critique. You know, I've seen some course correcting in a way that like, you know, isn't perfect, but it's definitely like not what the mainstream would,
0: yeah. would do, you know? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking, I can't not think of the moment we're living in now where we see like white supremacy, which has always been there, but becoming, I hesitate to say like more mainstream because it was right there in the mainstream. But this idea that there is actually uh, backing up, like I feel like from my own experience, like being in Maine, it was sort of the same thing, like Nazi punks fuck off. And I don't think I had ever met a a nazi punk so to me it was like this abstraction like this isn't and of course that does take the onus off of white people because it's like well i'm not a nazi yeah i mean that was i i if
1: if you notice for in the film an afro-punk film like i really uh there's no mention of nazis because that would be too easy for like the the white viewers to be like oh All the stuff they're talking about, they're not talking about me. They're talking about those Nazis, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was talking about them.
0: How do you feel now? Because I feel like the kind of conversation and accountability you brought up in that film is like the kinds of conversations and accountability we should be and in some places are starting to have as a culture as we grapple with like this current presidential administration's America. I don't know where I'm really going in terms of a question with this. I just think it's really interesting that to Punk's credit, I think it made me as a white person way more open to having those conversations, which were like vital to my life. Whereas now I'm like, come on, mainstream culture, like you can do it too, other white people. But like, how can we have those conversations on a bigger scale?
1: I mean, it's really about community, right? Because I think about the way that I can relate to this is like, there was a time in my life when I, before Punk, and even in the early years of punk where I was like actively contributing to sexism and patriarchy, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, tw- you know, 12 years old, like squeeze some girls, but because like my friends were doing that. And like when I was like a freshman and sophomore, like it was kind of like the height of like Ice Cube and I was calling women bitches just like. Guys and bitches, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. And it was, it was the community of the, it was like the political hardcore punk community that told me, like, no, that's not okay. And I'm like proud to say that, like, I agree. You yeah. know, it like, I wasn't born perfect. I was born into this like sexist society and I was benefiting from being a man, but like having conversations with like, intelligent women being willing to listen to them whether they be my peers you know like a girl I remember this girl Ida once was we were talking about whether women should be priests or not you know could be priests you Mm -hmm. know and her just being able to be like yeah I think they should be whatever they want to be and me being like what but it's like tradition and she's like yeah so is slavery and I'm like all right you're totally right you know what I'm saying and being able to have that conversation at 15 with another 15-year-old. Yeah. is huge and that is kind of what punk like that happens in punk spaces. And then being able to like put on a record and listen to Bikini Kill or Ch- Team Dresch or you know any of these riot girl bands that I like totally loved, it totally changed the way that I thought very very easily, you know? Yeah. And um and now as a father, I'm able to impart these things on my daughter super early you know what I'm saying where she can be at you know seven years old and totally think it's like have no questions or qualms around like the trans kid in her school or whatever you know what I'm saying yeah so it's just about like community and thankfully I was part of a community that supported that that is like more like politically aware or in line you know
0: yeah i felt like for me that was something i really longed for when i was a teenager when i look back i see that i had it more than i thought but it was more it was like the anarchists doing food not bombs and i really i think in the mid to late 90s i learned kind of a critique of global capitalism that was really interesting but i was craving like more i guess it's weird to say identity politics based but i wanted a more discussion about like racism, sexism, our identities being queer and I didn't find that in my like home scene in Maine and I kinda went off to Portland, Oregon before I moved to New York and thinking that was gonna be like where I was gonna have all these great conversations and it didn't quite pan out didn't work co- out that way. Didn't quite work out that way. I Obviously. mean, had some of them for mm-hmm. sure, but I think you know you i had this ideal of what the political punk like feminist scene would look like and mm-hmm. you know it was just a lot of other kids trying to figure themselves out so inevitably there was like some power struggles and kind of like one-upmanship in the scene but i i do feel really lucky that it opened me to those questions and that those conversations did happen even if they weren't as like perfect as i hoped you know
1: yeah and the thing that we you know we have to like be a little forgiving because we're talking about teenagers, yeah, you know, we're talking absolutely. about kids who are at most, what, 23. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, all of these conversations were, we're like all learning together, you know? Yeah. So, um, we shouldn't be s- super critical. Exactly. You know, I just think that punk rock tells us everything is worth it, worthy of critique.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, you mentioned, this has given you like, leeway to help your kids see that there's, like, a wide world of possibilities out there. How else has uh, the, your sort of punk background and philosophy or the DIY ethic, like, influenced how you think about yourself and conduct yourself as a parent?
1: As a parent? Well, I mean, I think that I've tried to impart on my kids that, like, they can do anything. That, like, youth, that, like, the, the youth um, empowerment that comes from punk, Like, I want to put on them as early as possible. I think every parent, like, tries to make, like, a Mm mini-me, you know? And I recognize that, like, they are their own people. You know, so I'll be encouraging if, like, you know, when my daughter was going through, like, a Katy Perry period, like, I had to just find the space for that, you know? But um, I think that a lot of this is, like, leading by example. Um, She hears me and my girlfriend talk about, like, DIY politics and how like you know just how I've empowered myself through whether it be tattooing or like looking for community and creating like Afropunk or looking for community and creating black kids on bikes or whatever various moments where I was just like okay I don't fit in so I'm just gonna like make a world for myself that is the kind of thing that I put on my kids when you know she's like you know so and so is like me and I'm like you know like you could create your own world, you know, like you can be the leader if you want.
0: And how do you feel that's received? Does, does that feel authentic to that, to them, to her? Does she feel like, yeah, I can do that. I mean, it's just, can be so. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard (laughs) when you're, it's
1: definitely hard being like a little kid and like, you know, you want to fit in and like, you know, she didn't want to like have vegan food because everybody was like, you know, they're eating Lunchables and, you know, like all of these kind of things where we have to like, make compromises or figure out like ways to, um, you know, to empower her, you know, I'm seeing choices. Like, you know, she wanted to join roller derby and like, that's her, you know, that she came up with that on her own. You know, she wants to be weird now. She's Mm -hmm. like, she's nine. And she's like, I, you know, she was like all upset because some other girl is like into twilight and roller derby. And like, was the only one who's supposed to be into, you know, like Mm -hmm, she wants she enjoys being the weirdo, you know, like the mysterious one who's like, why is she saying, what is goth? She keeps saying like, she's goth. What does that mean? You know? And I I think that, you know, she'll, I think leading by example is probably the best, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But politically she's totally on point. Like she's already understands like you know, long time ago is just all the all the questions that people are, you know, would have around whether it's trans people or, you know, people, immigrants or whatever, like, you know, she's trying to develop her politics, but she's the first one to be like, Trump is so stupid, you know, like the, you know, those wall or whatever, you know, like,
0: awesome. So let's talk about the book you're working on. Now. Um, It's sort of, would I be correct in saying it's kind of your punk rock origin story in a way? Yeah. What do you feel, because um, I feel like with the book I've been working on, a lot of it is about sort of my punk rock origin story. And I'm just curious, like, what do you think, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the book. And then what is so compelling about like that moment, you know, that we kind of talked about at the beginning when you start to discover punk?
1: The the book is called The High Desert and um, it's in, progress so it'll still be a couple years since I'm writing and drawing like probably close to 300 pages you know it's it's basically about finding what the true meaning of punk rock is and doing it in the midst of extreme racism Mm -hmm. in the midst of like nazis beating people up in the midst of like my mom not understanding me my dad not really having time for me like all of these kind of things that kids go through, you know, trying to find out who I am both as a person and as a black person. I think that we as humans like gravitate towards this, like these years of adolescence because so much change happens. Mm -hmm. We go from being like, you know, silly kids to having all like all of our like stresses, our anxieties, our like dysfunction, whatever, it all, like, comes up and starts to manifest into, like, this tangible, tangible personality that will, like, kind of be who we are for the rest of our lives. Yeah. So I don't think the, like, the punk rock origin story is, like, super unique in in that, like, we're watching these origin stories regardless of, like, wh- you know, that's the whole, like, young adult market, Right. right? With regards to punk, I mean, this is an identity that like most people who really like claim it, claim it forever. So of course, you're going to want to know like how that, how did this come about? Then with me in particular, you know, because um, Afropunk is this like brand and this like worldwide festival phenomenon, the question always comes back to me, like how did it go from... Being this like authentic punk movie and like the beginnings of possibly a black punk scene to this like mega festival, you know, and brand. And, you know, while that's a completely different story, like a different answer, I'm reminded from time to time with pride that it like, regardless of whatever you think about the festival and what it became and like people are attracted to it because it's alternative Mm -hmm. and because it's black yes and and those things wouldn't have existed that name afropunk wouldn't have like come about if it didn't start right here in the desert you know in 1989 when i'm trying to figure out where i belong with all of these like conflicting uh conversations of like Nazi skinheads wanting to beat me up and Crips wanting to beat me up and you know like all yeah. of this stuff just because I like listen to this kind of music, you know? Right. So seemed like a good place to start.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. You've been and I'm really excited for the book. You've been sharing some of the drawings on Instagram and it's really cool to Thanks. see it coming together slowly. So just to like backtrack a little bit, you've been doing some screenings of the Afropunk documentary recently, and I'm curious, how is the reception now, You know, over a decade later, with Afropunk, the festival, being this kind of global phenomenon, even if people haven't been, I think they know of it, mm-hmm. how's the reception changed, or has it changed, of the film, or is the conversation different, does it feel similar to when you were touring with the film?
1: it's changed and it hasn't changed in some like the film is still what it is and it still connects with people in the same way and that's the point that's the beautiful thing I think that it's the conversation after the film that's changed a bit because people really want to know like what the hell happened you know and uh it got actually after doing it a few times I realized that I could like circumvent a lot of questions by like doing a slideshow presentation. Got it. So that's what I'm doing now. Okay. Um, I'll show the film and then I do like a 40 minute talk about like my history with, with punk and DIY, what got me to the place where I was going to make the movie, why I was gonna make the movie, et cetera. Um, Making it, screening it, like being a part of what could have been like, you know, a true black punk scene. And then monetizing and corporate takeover, basically, mm-hmm. um, which basically caused me to leave. Um, and then what I did after that. So, you know, I think that people like human nature wants me to go in on like on a rant and mm-hmm. talk a bunch of shit mm-hmm. and stuff. And I don't really do that. Like I because I recognize that as troubling as it is sometimes for me personally, I recognize that Afropunk has value. What I try to impart with these screenings and with my talk is that, um, it doesn't have punk values yeah. and there's like a difference that we should no- note.
0: And are you like actively booking those screenings? Like, would you invite people to reach out like university? Or yeah, totally. Or like, cool. um,
1: we're doing, I'm doing like, I basically have something, a couple booked every month into the summer. So I've got time, you know, like if anybody wants to bring me out or just show the film on its own, like you can just reach out to me.
0: Awesome. That's great. Um, Thanks. Just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. In case we have listeners who are curious. Um, So going back to the book, and I remember we talked about this a little bit when we met first at the LA Zine Fest last year, Um, you're drawing from photos of models. So you've kind of invited uh, young punks to be the sort of characters or motto for the characters in this book. So I'm curious, like, have you talked to these kids about their experiences at, as punks and how are those similar to or different than, than yours, this n- younger generation?
1: Well, um, I do follow some of them. Like they're I'm actually using a Latino kid to pose for me because, um, if anyone has ever seen me, I'm like pretty light skin and ethnically ambiguous. So, Um, he kind of fit the bill, but it's interesting. Los Angeles is, is, is a, is definitely a different scene because like, it feels like the majority of punks are Latino Mm -hmm. and, you know, so they, and they've got this huge backyard scene that's like almost all Latino, you know? So if, if anything, it's the white kids who are like the minorities, So yeah, I haven't really, you know, I haven't really had like super deep conversations about race with, with these kids because they're dealing with different, different things, you know, but I have, I do just like pay attention to what they're doing. And like, I've gone to the girl who like kind of plays like the love interest or whatever. She like just started a band. I went to go see them and stuff. So, you know, it's like, I kind of see them as like I don't know. I'm just like looking out for them. Yeah. Like they're just like kids and I'm in some ways like they're like my kids now because I'm sitting here drawing them. all day (laughs) Yeah. That's
0: I think that's really cool. You're using real people to stand into other real people. So you have this whole kind of relationship with them, even though you're not talking to them so much. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when I did Afropunk, like I met all these new people and like I had a, um, some of them I connected with and stayed, have become really good friends of mine. And, um, I imagine that in this scenario, like I'll, you know, they're, they're teenagers. So I'm not gonna like hang out or anything, but I am like, you know, going to support their shows or I am like checking in and just seeing, you know, cause they're like young punk kids. And I imagine if I was a young punk kid and there was like some 40 year old punk dude who like. I don't know, It's is starting to sound creepy, but you know, <laughs> like a mentor kind yeah. of thing. No, you know what I, I'm
0: I think I see where you're going with that. And I think that's really awesome. And it's really, or I feel like it's rare for just thinking back to when I was a teenager to find adults that I wasn't related to and who weren't my teachers to connect with. And those are, th- I think, the people who could can have a great effect on one's life, even if you're not like super, super close, just to know like, Oh, here's sort of a role model that sounds so no, to no grow up. like no, you know? absolutely. because
1: I, I, when I was a kid, I had no adults who I wanted to be. You know, yeah. I couldn't imagine what I would be when I grew up because I couldn't see myself in... and I mean, that's something that's kind of unique to this generation is that there are tons of forty year olds who are still into punk and hardcore and go to shows and whatever. And like, no, we're not like partying with the teenagers. But like they can see, oh, that's what I could look like when I'm an adult and like, oh, what do they do? And like that kind of thing. So it's it's nice to be able to impart wisdom if asked for it or whatever. You know what I'm saying?
0: Totally. And I think just to know like you don't have to like model exactly what I do and, you know, be an artist and all these things, but that there's options out there because I think it's just sometimes hard to see like how you get from this point of being a teenager, like into these things to an adult who maybe has a job and a family. (laughs) Didn't
1: you have like this argument with your parents, like all through teenage, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Like, how are you going to do this? You know? And it's just like, I didn't have answers. I don't know how I'm going to be a punk rocker when I'm, you know, but like now I do, you (laughs) know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like now, you know, my parent, my mom is still like, doesn't always get it, you know? And it's like, I'm a grown man. Like I've been taking care of myself for 30 years. Like,
0: I mean, I still don't know how I'm going to be a punk and a grown up, but I realized I guess I just am. Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) just,
1: you know, it just is. And, and, you know, and now I'm trying to teach that to my kids. I I just think that, you know, we're like the hippies or something who were like, they had all these politics and some of them kept
0: them. Yeah. You know. Exactly. And I feel lucky because of that critique aspect of punk, like I feel that it keeps me from getting complacent and like that I know anything or have any answers, you know, and it makes me keep listening and challenging myself to learn more, especially as, you know, a middle class white person, we Mm -hmm. always got to shut up and listen a little bit more.
1: Yeah, Um, but you're, you know, I mean, even doing a podcast, this is like a total DIY punk thing Definitely. you know what I'm saying and like that's something I talked about in the slideshow how like technology and the internet has made like punk rock accessible to people like the you know whether it's like doing a blog it's like mm-hmm. the same thing as a zine mm-hmm. like you know like we would silkscreen t-shirts now you can just like print it out and you know send it to a company they'll send you a t-shirt that says like fuck whatever you, <laughs> you want it to you know what I'm saying yeah, totally like it just makes it, it's like there's that much less of an excuse. You know? Totally,
0: totally. So my last question Doug tells pretty well with that, which is just, um, do you have any advice for young people, um, especially young people of color, young black punks who might feel isolated, just anything you'd want to tell them?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest thing that I learned was that like, you are valid. You know, this experience of being a black weirdo is also a black experience. It took me doing the film and interviewing all these people and then screening it for hundreds of people, thousands of people and hearing their stories to realize like, Oh, like there isn't just this one monolithic black experience, but like black kids who are into comics, like, yo, that's a black, valid black experience. Black kids who are into lacrosse. That's a black valid black experience like being the one black person involved in anything or being part of a smaller you know marginalized community like that is the black experience so like don't feel like you're all alone or whatever and if you live in a small town or you go to a school or whatever your high school things are going to change when you grow up like get out of your town go to a place with more people like yourself and you'll find that like the world is it's infinite you have the ability and you don't need permission just go try to do it you know
0: awesome definitely thank you so much james i <laughs> yeah, really sure. appreciate it yeah and good luck with the finishing the book it's a huge project
1: yeah just check out um spooners or at spooners no on instagram to like keep up with it
0: Awesome. And we didn't really talk about your tattoo practice, but uh-huh. maybe quickly you can just tell us a little bit about your vegan tattoos and you specialize in all types of skin tones. So yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, um, yeah, totally quickly. Um, you can check out my work at spoon, uh, I'm sorry, at monocletattoo.com or at tattoo on Instagram. And I do an all vegan tattoo procedures. It's like, stay consistent with my politics. And, um, And I also, I guess, specialize in tattooing dark skin, though I tattoo all shades. So um, all of those things are, again, those are like trying to stay consistent with my politics and make community where I can and how I can.
0: That's awesome. What a great consistent. to do in all different mediums throughout your life and we've done this interview in your tattoo studio and it is beautiful it's in los angeles so if anyone's like looking for a tattoo i mean i kind of want to get a tattoo just because this place is so nice (laughs) or (laughs) another tattoo you're (laughs) very welcome (laughs) so thanks so much and um i will put links to all those things in the show notes as well thank you thanks Thank you again to James for taking the time to talk with me and to you for listening to this edition of Riot Woman. You can find James and stay up to date with his latest work at Spooners No Fun and Monocle Tattoo on Instagram. For more information on me and this podcast, you can visit EleanorCWhitney.com podcast, where I've also included links to James's projects in the show notes. While you're visiting my site, I'd love it if you signed up for my mailing list. You can also follow me on Instagram at Killer The song Half Fly by Talene Kali is our theme music. You can hear more of her work and support her at talenekali.com. Finally, if you liked this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It means a lot to me and helps others discover the podcast. Thanks, and until next time...